DNA. It is the carrier of genetic information and is a self-replicating material that is present in all living organisms and finds us all individually. We leave behind traces of DNA everywhere we go without even realizing it. It is as simple as a flake of skin, drop of blood, hair follicle, or saliva. All of them to identify individuals. Thus comes the study of forensics. Hello, and welcome to our Crime Bites podcast. Today we have Tyler Malka, Kevin Longworth, and Nick Cromie. In this session, we will talk about DNA evidence with a focus on fingerprints and how they are used in forensics. Fingerprint analysis has been used in the early 20th century, although it is more criticized than DNA identification. 1910 marked the first use of fingerprint analysis in the United States to help solve a murder. But compared to the less valuable DNA analysis, fingerprinting has been more criticized and its liability for error due to other factors. While DNA can be deconstructed to match protein chains in their sequence, and they can specifically match to one human being, fingerprint analysis is not so scientifically accurate. First off, there is no scientific evidence stating with 100% certainty that no two fingerprints are or have ever been the same, although it can be agreed upon by experts that fingerprints most of the time are used. Now let's say for simplicity's sake that there are no two fingerprints that are the same. The methodology for which they are compared, analyzed, and matched is where this, as a reliable, begin to flock. Unlike what is portrayed in the media or in Hollywood, there is no computer that a sample fingerprint is input starts to cross-examine with other fingerprints in the system. A latent fingerprint is gathered from a crime scene. Most of the time, it is only a partial fingerprint, and it is of poor quality. From there, they are gathered. From there, they gather a sample pool of suspects and start the comparison. From there, a qualified expert takes two latent fingerprints and compares any similarities between the two images. There is so much complexity in fingerprints, and there must be a high attention to detail when comparing fingerprints. Once there are enough similarities in all of the fingerprints, and the examiner has enough confidence, they take what they call a quote-unquote leap of faith and make their decision that fingerprints are or are not a match. This form of evidence has shown its faults in many cases over the years, but one notable case was specifically in 2004. In the 2004 Madrid-trained suspect, Brandon Mayfield, a veteran from Oregon with no recent travel outside the country, was falsely identified via latent fingerprint examination as the main suspect by multiple agents across many countries. In this case, they later found out the perpetrator. However, there was a high level of confidence from multiple law enforcement agencies that were convinced that Mayfield had committed the crime based on poor latent fingerprint analysis. This individual case is an example of how human error, human confirmation bias, and latent fingerprint quality all came together to show that this form of forensic evidence has a much higher probability of flaw than forensic sciences such as DNA fingerprints. In the 1980s, 
breakthrough happened with forensics investigations with the use of DNA identification. The first case to use DNA identification was a case in England where two boys had been raped and murdered. After the criminal had tried to get a co-worker to impersonate him, the investigators took his DNA and matched it against the samples taken at the crime scene. The main identification methods are through saliva, blood, and hair follicles. While DNA has revolutionized crime solving, it has also created a new problem in misidentification. Many DNA samples become degraded, yielding in only partial matches in DNA. This leads to a lower, to a lower weight on how conclusive the DNA can be. However, oftentimes the jury still places full faith and confidence in the sample regardless of possible mishandling. Another problem forensic scientists face is DNA mixture, where the sample of DNA is collected and mixed with two or more different DNA from different people, making it difficult to identify and isolate for one person. So now we'll be taking a look at a famous case involving DNA forensics. The case of Richard Ramirez, also known as the Night Stalker by the news media, who went on a crime spree from 1984 to 1985. The Night Stalker is such a well-known criminal case that it has had a, multiple movies and a documentary series about him. Ramirez had roughly 18 different attacks over the span of a year, including murder, rape, burglary, and causing severe injury to the victims involved. The first case of murder was against a nine-year-old Mei Luang. Uh, Ramirez had left a fingerprint at the scene, however, it, it wasn't until 2009 that the two had been connected. DNA evidence hadn't been fully developed at the time, so it was difficult to identify the Night Stalker. He made sure to be very careful during his crime scenes to leave as little evidence as possible, especially fingerprints. He succeeded in doing so until a crucial mistake in 1985. He had fled from a home he intended to invade, but his car was reported to the police. Later, he had broken into a home and left a survivor to tell the world that the Night Stalker was here. A few days later, the police had obtained the footprint cast from the first home that he had fled away from, as well as found the identified stolen car that he was in. Inside that car, law enforcement found a single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, identifying it to a Richard Ramirez, a 25-year-old with a long rap sheet from Texas. On August 29th, the Night Stalker finally had a face. He was subdued and brought into custody on August 31st. So thanks to DNA forensics and the evidence of finding his fingerprint in that vehicle, one of the most violent serial killers in American history was finally captured. We have been using DNA as forensic evidence for almost three decades. You could imagine over the course of that time period, there will be controversies surrounding the topic. One of the first controversies came about in 1987 when a 17-year-old boy was accused of rape and murder of two girls one year apart from each other. The evidence and his own previous history made him a prime suspect. However, the boy asked for a blood test. After running some molecular blood tests, the results showed that the girls were victim of the same perpetrator, but it was not the young boy. Thus, DNA profiling came to have a large role in forensics. A DNA profile can consist of many sets of random variables including contamination. This makes DNA matching not 100% guarantee. Forensic scientists will declare a match at the crime scene if two or th of the three random variables in those cases match since it is rare that it would not that it would fail. 
that does not even include the reliability of the lab testing the samples. Sometimes not enough sufficient evidence is gathered at the crime scene, resulting in the lab to copy the molecules to make more. Obviously, the problem with this is potential reproduction of contaminated molecules. There, these are just a few controversies surrounding DNA evidence. However, it is growing more reliable in today's advances in technology. DNA evidence is easily obtainable because of the amount of genetic material that we leave behind. With today's technology, even the smallest trace of evidence can be used to aid law enforcement to match crime scene evidence with suspects. DNA today is considered to be the golden standard of forensics. However, it should be known that even though someone's DNA could match, does not mean they are instantly guilty. There is a possibility of DNA being cross-contaminated between labs or even at the collection site. Fingerprints are the same way as, as well as the DNA is. DNA and fingerprints are unique in their own, but are by no means always the perfect evidence. Forensics is heavily based on probabilities, but with the aid of DNA evidence, law enforcement can help narrow down the potential suspects and bring them to justice. So with that, we thank you for your time here and hope you enjoyed your time spent with us. This is our Crime Bites podcast on DNA evidence. Thank you. Have a good night.